0: Hello and welcome to the Grace Point Henderson podcast. My name is Parker and I serve as the lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Henderson, Kentucky. Happy New Year and we hope that 2020 is off to a great start. This is the first message of 2020 at Grace Point Church. It's an exposition of Psalm 51 entitled, The Encouragement of Repentance. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. He does that day in and day out. That is a miracle. That is the miracle of a new birth. And so we have an infatuation with all these miraculous things that God can do. And yes, he can. But most often, the greatest miracles are the things he does all the time. Bringing sinners from death to life. Bringing about his word and bringing it to life in our souls. Bringing about our confession, our repentance, and our faith. Those are the great miracles of the Lord. We're completely dependent upon him in all those areas. And so I want us to focus our attention not so much on the miracle of 2020, but on the posture of our heart going into 2020, going into this new year, that we would see that if the Lord is going to do something great, that oftentimes it begins with our posturing and our willingness to repent and align our lives uh, with him. And so I want to look this morning at the encouragement of repentance. The Bible speaks about a repentance often. Jesus says, you cannot become a follower of Christ without repentance. This is what he preached in Mark chapter one. He says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The Greek word for repent that's used often through the New Testament is metaeo. It literally means to change or to reconsider a change of heart. And one of the most poignant examples in the pictures that we have in repentance, I believe in all the Bible, is through the life of the man by the name of King David. Um, you know that David was a man after God's own heart. I speak of David often. Uh, I talk of David often. Just a crazy, incredible story. How God made covenant with him. He was a man after God's own heart. But even this good man, even this good king fell into adultery and sin. You see this in 2 Samuel 11. It begins in this way. It, it's in the spring of the year and the times when the kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It said, it happened late one evening. It continues in the next verse. It just rephrase to it, phrase, frames to it as it happened. It happened late one evening. You know the story, right? David is on his roof. He's the king of all of Israel. When he looks and he sees this woman bathing, he desires her to come to him. She calls. He calls to her. She comes to him. He commits adultery with her. and She is found to be pregnant. It is not his wife. It is the wife of Uriah. And she is pregnant now. And so, David, in trying to cover up his sin, has Uriah killed, takes to the front of the battle lines. And what you see is if if you read the story, as you read through the scripture this year, and you come to this place in the story in 2 Samuel 11, our hearts are just like, what has just happened? This man that has trusted the Lord, this man that, that contrasted Saul so beautifully as someone that wasn't pride filled, that someone that was following, oh, hearted the Lord. And now he sinned. And we like to have this comparative way of looking at sin. This is a big sin in our eyes, what David has done. And it continues in 2 Samuel 12, the next chapter, what looks to be just a turn of a page was actually probably more likely about a year's time that went. And what happens in 2 Samuel 12, I'm not going to read it, I'm going to summarize it, is that Nathan, the prophet, goes to, Nate, goes to David and confronts him about his sinfulness. He says, if you sinned against the Lord, you sinned against Bathsheba, you sinned against Uriah, but ultimately, David, you sinned against God. And Nathan begins to rebuke David. And the story goes something like this. He tells David this story. Nathan's telling David this story. He's of two men, one wealthy man and one poor man. This wealthy man had a whole bunch of, of lambs. He had just a herd of flock, but then this poor man only had one. And he considered him to be a treasure. He was like a pet to him. He loved him so much. And then this traveler comes and he meets with the rich man, and this rich man decides he wants to throw a party. And instead of going. To prepare one of his lambs to be sacrificed and prepared for this guest. He goes and he takes from the poor man. And Nathan looks at David and he says, What do you, what do you say about a person that would do something like this, David? What would you say to him? He said, he, he, This man deserves to die, is what David said. This man deserves to die. How could he not? show love and compassion to this person, but instead took advantage of this other person. This man deserves death. And you can see this pride begin to build in David until Nathan looks at him and says, David, you are that man. And in that moment, I believe David was gripped to the heart of a prophet, of a man that was willing to speak tough words to him. And say, David, you may think you have it all together, but your greatest need right now, David, is for you to repent and turn to the Lord. And I think often in our posture, so often we have that same pride as they deserve to die. But we turn inwardly and look at ourselves. I want us to do that starting this year off to say, we may be that man. We may be that woman. And what you see in Psalm 51 is you see David's expression of his heart and confessing and repenting before the Lord of his sin against him. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. And I just, basically, this sermon is just an exposition of Psalm 51. And I just want to start walking through that. But before we get too far, let me pray to that end. Father, help us to be gripped by this text and the context that's here. Understanding that the words that David has written to us were not first to us. They were first to you. And they were to God's people to see the grief that sin has brought to this man. The destruction and heartache that sin leaves in our own life. So God, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, may we fix our eyes on you this morning. Would you speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. I want to bring our attention to three things uh, this morning. This posture that David has in Psalm 51, recognizing his sinfulness before God and repenting uh, before the Lord. The first one, understand this, that David understands his own sin. You see in Psalm 51, verses one and two, he says, "Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin." David is recognizing and acknowledging that he is a mess. David was a man after God's own heart, yet he failed, and he sinned against the Lord. And David is saying, I've earned this. I deserve this. I have transgressed before the Lord. I have sinned against you. And that's so foreign to our posture today, is it not? We have this posture that I've earned this. I've earned this right. I've done something worthy, this posture of self-righteousness. And David said, that's not me. David said, I recognize that I've sinned against the Lord. I recognize that I've transgressed against him. If you flip over to the Gospel of Luke Chapter 18, Jesus warns against this self-righteousness. He warns against this attitude and posture of thinking that you have it all together and you deserve something that you really don't. Contrasted to this posture of humility and begging for mercy from God. He also told parables to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is Luke Luke 18, excuse me, verse 9. And treated others with contempt. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. Self-righteousness, pride. I deserve something. He contrasts by the tax collector in verse 12, excuse me, verse 13. Standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down from his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The posture of David was that of the latter. It was that of a man who was broken. It was that of a man who says, I need God's grace. I am not worthy. I know my transgressions, David says. And my sin is ever before me in verse 3. He says, I know my transgressions. I know what I've done. He hasn't become hardened towards his sin. He hasn't tried to rationalize it. I know we try to rationalize and think, well, I've done nothing wrong. And he maybe tried to get away with that until Nathan confronted him and leveled with him. And said, David, you need to be honest about your sin. And I think most of us need to have that posture as well. Instead of ignoring or trying to hide our sin, we need to be honest about our sin. Recognize that, David, recognized that sin is rebellion against God. And sin has shrapnel. It's not just something that be kept privately. I know the enemy wants to think that it's something, it's just something that's only between you and, and me. It's only between, well, God might know. And I might know, but nobody else will know, but nobody else will see. But beloved, sin has shrapnel. It bursts and it spreads and it affects others. And it happened in David's life as well. Well, we want people just to get over it, but people are affected when we sin. We want people to get over it rather than repenting and turning back and returning to the Lord. Uriah's dead because of David's sin. A son will be killed because of David's sin. Beloved, our sin is not isolated. Our sin has shrapnel. Our sin has effects. But David doesn't shift the blame, does he? He owns it. He says, I've sinned against the Lord, and I've done what's evil in your sight. In other words, yes, I've sinned against Uriah. Yes, I've sinned against Bathsheba. But ultimately, my sin was against the Lord. Do you recognize that you're a sinner and you're falling short? Do you recognize that you're in desperate need of God's grace today? Because point number two, David was standing before the Lord. Emphasis on standing before the Lord. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And David is appealing to the word there, God's kesed, God's kesed mercy, God's loving kindness, God's goodness, God's faithfulness. He isn't being arrogant before God. He isn't being demanding before God. But he understands that God is gracious and loving towards him. He understands that he is in covenant with God. David is saying, because I have this relationship with you, God, because of your character, God, would you forgive me? He's appealing to God for mercy. And even though God should crush him, God was loving, he was kind, he was merciful. He's a God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But I think it's worth noting here, I want to take just a little bit of a rabbit trail here, to say that David was following the Lord when this happened. David was a man after God's own heart, yet he failed. And I think it's worth for us to consider that that teachings have crept in that that say that that no longer are you a sinner once you are a Christian. No longer are you tempted to sin. And that some even believe that you can reach a place of moral perfection because you've trusted in Jesus. I saw a preacher, a well-known preacher, teacher on TV that said she had reached the level that she does no longer sin against the Lord. It's crazy teaching, it's crazy thought, and it's crept in throughout history as well. Up until the 16th century, the church understood this idea of conversion, sanctification, and regeneration were all synonymous lingo. They used them interchangeably. That conversion and sanctification and regeneration, it was all kind of the same conversation that was going on. That's why when you read old theologians from the past, the conversation is centered on justification right that's the that's the main idea how are you saved and they, and and people said that you were saved by grace alone through, we know this by faith alone in Christ alone right and we are declared righteous because of God he declares us righteous this is contrasted to the Roman Catholic teaching that God loves the lovely and that somehow there are sacraments are carrying merit And that we become acceptable to God in his sight because we have received grace through the sacraments. This was the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church on justification in 1545 at the Council of Trent. And it was there that they said you were justified because God loves the lovely. And when we become lovable, God will love us. And we become lovable through the sacraments. And the sacraments make us holy that God would be acceptable to us. It was a little bit later that the Roman Catholic Church began to teach that there are seven sacraments to make you lovely. It begins to build on that. But the biblical understanding of justification, sanctification, regeneration, they all meant the same thing. Merely that we are made righteous by grace through faith in Christ. And this led us to gratitude. It changed our life. And all throughout the 16th and 17th century, people understood this to mean all of your life was now changed. They didn't distinguish between justification and conversion. And it wasn't until the 18th century that conversion is seen to mean something that happens only at the beginning of the Christian life. In other words, it's something that you experience and you move on. And what was happening was a shifting away from justification and right standing before God. And it was moving towards conversion and moralism. And at the root of that shift, what was happening is that we were moving away from the person of God and moving toward the God of ourself. And what do I mean by that? Before, it was all about by grace through faith in Christ that we stand justified before God and God alone. That our right standing is dependent on his mercy and his grace. It points us to grace in Christ. It points us to Jesus. And all of my life is dependent on him. Everything about me is dependent on Jesus. When I came to faith, when I will continue in faith, and when I go to be with him in glory and am united with him, it is all centered on Christ and Christ alone. And then this shift took place. But now it's about conversion. It's about this thing happens well I guess I'm good now and I can move on with my life faith always points us to Christ conversion points us to who we are it was a big shift that took place in the 18th century it was a big shift in thinking and so now today we have this notion of well yeah I'm a Christian because I've experienced something in my life right And we say these things like, well, before I was a Christian, I was crazy, man. Listen, you're still a sinner. You're still in need of God's grace. David was a man after God's own heart, and he failed. Even though you've trusted in Christ, you still have issues. And I think it's this posture that begins to to keep us from being honest and being open about our sin, And instead of telling it all, instead of being open about who we are and say, I am so in need of God's grace in my life, we say, I'm converted. I don't need Jesus anymore. I'm good. I can move on. Beloved, you are still in need of God's grace The deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews says in 3.13. He says, encourage one another all the day more long so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the encouragement there is that sin is going to harden you. It's going to deceive you. It's going to make you think that there's nothing that needs to change. It's going to make you believe that, oh, I'm good. I'm a Christian. I've done that. I've I've cracked the code or whatever it is. I I don't need to do that anymore, and that's in the past. And I just want to encourage us, beloved, when we take off our little Christian mask this morning and realize our brokenness before the Lord. We are in desperate need of God's grace. We still need him. And we will always need him. First John 1.8, he says, If you say you have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Verse 10, he says, you're, you're a liar and you make him to be a liar. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, if we admit that we have failed, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's making us clean. He will restore us. And I'm amazed at how many churches today, no one is open to talk about their need for grace anymore. No one is open about talking about their failures. Instead, it's about we reduced following Jesus to making a one time decision so we can move on with our life. Well, I've accepted Jesus, so I'm good now. And you see no need for repenting of anything else. And we put on this facade like we got it all together. And we can't let anyone find out about the true me. Beloved, the Lord is no fool. We often take the posture that it's always on someone else. It must be their problem. They must have misunderstood me. You're always in the right. God doesn't have any need to be upset with you. That wasn't the heart of David. David knew that he had sinned against the Lord. He knew that he would fail. He was following with the Lord and he didn't go to the Lord and say, well, I'm still good, right? He was broken because of his sin. And following and walking with Jesus isn't about this pie in the sky or cracking some magic code. It's about all of your life being marked by submission to Christ and aligning your life with him. That you're a characteristic of belonging to Him is that you don't continue in your sin. You repent and you return. Believer, your entire life will be repentance and submitting yourself to Christ and His Lordship. A God who loves sinners, a, des- a God who desires a relationship with sinners, a God who is patient towards us. The Lord is gracious, merciful, and kind, abounding. In steadfast love, slow to anger. That's who our Lord is. He is patient with us. One theologian said this, his name is Joe Thorne. He said, the Lord is patient with you. He is not merely withholding deserved punishment, but he is giving you time to repent, to seek him in humility and faith. He is not tolerating you, but lovingly calling you to himself. But don't misunderstand the patience of God towards you. It is not that he simply has a long fuse. He isn't overlooking your sin. He remains patient towards you because justice has been satisfied. God's wrath against sin is settled. Therefore, his patience towards you is leading you to continue in repentance from sin and reliance on his grace. This is what Romans 2, 4 would say, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. That you recognize God as patient and kind towards you. And so you don't hide from your sin and say, there's nothing else I need to say here. Instead, you run to the Lord in repentance and faith. It says, against you and only you have I sinned, verse 4. And I've done what's evil in your sight, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He wasn't being flippant. He wasn't being lackadaisical with his confession. He recognized that he had sinned against a holy God. Some of us don't even recognize that we're guilty and who we stand guilty before. We don't recognize the utter horror of our sin before his holiness. Just a quick little illustration or example. If I were to take my keys and I were to take them to the city dump or to an old abandoned car lot, and I were to take this key and I were to scratch it across the side of a vehicle in a rummage yard or a scrap yard. Somebody could say, that's vandalism. So well, these, it's not worth anything. It's a dump. Now, if I took that same key and I went to someone's home, scratched across theirs. Well, my fence just went up. It wasn't against something that was worthless. It was against something that had value. My dad's a used car salesman. He has a car lot. If I were to take this same key and put that same stripe at the same location that I did at the car in the dump and took it to a car at my dad's car lot, well, my fence just went up. If I were to take that same key on the same spot at the same car and went to a Lamborghini dealership, and I took it across that, my offense just went up. If I were to take that same key, same spot, same Lamborghini, but it, owned, it belonged to the judge, my fence just went up. Beloved, our sinfulness may seem minor compared to the lesser things of this world. It may seem like nothing or trivial to sin against Bathsheba or Uriah. It may seem like nothing to sin against yourself or somebody else or your neighbor. It may be nothing to sin against nature, to sin against a rock. But beloved, you are sinning against an almighty, all-powerful, worthy creator of all the universe. And your offense before him is great. And you deserve the just punishment for your sin. But we never have that posture when we look at him in our sinfulness, do we? Very rarely do we see our sin for what it is. We want to lessen it. We want to make it like it's no big deal. We just pull up short. Let's just feel guilty about it. And then we feel guilty and then that's enough. But remorse is not repentance. Feeling guilty is not repentance. David doesn't just feel guilty. He doesn't just feel remorse. He doesn't just feel remorse and run away. David says, I'm looking at the depth of my sin, and instead of running away from that, I'm running toward that in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm not running from my sin. I'm running to Jesus, and I'm clinging to Jesus, and I'm repenting. Remorse says, I will repel. Guilt says, get out of here. But repentance says, own it, repent, and trust the Lord for your provision. That's what David did in this passage. Against you and only you have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. He's utterly helpless before God. David wasn't at this point talking about a new work. He wasn't declaring that 2020 is the greatest year of my life. Before he got there, he had to walk through the mess of his sin. And that's exactly what he did. He walked hard through it. He says, I'm not going to shove this off and act like it's no big deal. I'm not going to act like I haven't done anything wrong. No, I have sinned against you, and I deserve your punishment. But, God, you are gracious and kind towards me. People often talk about revival they talk about God doing something incredible. But beloved, repentance always will precede revival. If we want to see revival happen, we have to be willing to examine ourselves and repent before the Lord. And recognize that we were foolish to expect revival without our repentance. Leonard Raverhill once said this. He said, one of the reasons that revival never comes is because Christians will not repent. We talked for a long time about wanting to see revival in the church. Wanting to see God do incredible things. And I just want to encourage us this morning of the encouragement of repentance. To say, I will return to the Lord. I will repent and acknowledge my sin before him. And I will repent. And my expectation will be on my repentance. And allowing the Lord to work in my life. And then thirdly, David was longing for real and complete transformation. Look down in verse 6. He says, Behold, you delight in truth, or you delight in firmness, in fidelity, in uprightness, in honesty, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What does he mean the secret heart? This idea of this this crevices of my heart, exposing those things. When I was younger and my dad, when I, remember when you were a teenager in your room, you used to get really filthy and nasty and your parents would go, yeah, go clean your room. I found out pretty quickly that the easiest way and the quickest way to clean my room was to do two things. Make up the bed and store all the junk under the bed or in the closet. And I felt really good about it. And I would go and I would go declare to my dad, come look at my room. And the bed was nice and it was nice and neat. And then there was that moment that he would walk over to the closet. And I would go, oh gosh, don't look in the closet. And I was so concerned that my dad would see all my junk. I was so concerned that he would see my mess. I was so concerned that he would be upset Because I didn't do what he asked me to do. I hid it. I covered it up. That's the same posture we often have with our sin in our life. We make the bed. We stuff it in the closet. We throw it under the bed. And we say, God, don't look at my stuff. Don't look at the mess that I've made. Beloved, God's seen a bigger mess than your life. God has seen bigger messes than you've made with your life. And what David is getting at here, he says, God, I want you to expose it all. And I may have acted like I've made up the bed, but God, I want you to look in the closet as well. And I want you to look underneath all the things that I'm trying to keep hidden from you. God, would you, God, you delight in integrity. Teach me wisdom in the secret of heart. Teach me what it means to walk in integrity before you. God, you've seen bigger messes than me. So I'm not going to try to hide this mess. I'm going to be open. And with the light of your son, expose this sin and rid this from here. This is what 1 Peter would say, but in your hearts, regard Christ as holy. In the deepest part of your life, David says, I want Christ to be honored in me. In the deepest place of your life, in all those crevices, in the secret places of your heart, is that your desire? That God would dispose it. Would he shine the light of the gospel on it? And instead of hiding, you would repent of that and trust the Lord for your provision. And then he says in Psalm 51 verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's what we want to champion in 2020. But it didn't happen until 10 verses later. It didn't happen until David acknowledged his sin and repented of his sin and trusted the Lord. And we recognize and see that ultimately repentance is a gift. Some of you, in hearing this, you recognize that you need to repent but have no desire to repent. You have every bit of knowledge that you need to repent. You know your sin, you recognize it, but there's, nothing's happening. There's, no, there's no, nothing in you that says you should repent. You're unmoved. You even say you're a Christian, but you're refusing to be changed. It's because God brings about that. He, he, David says, create in me a clean heart. This was the Lord's work. God was going to give him a clean heart and renew a spirit within him. David is asking for God to hit the reset button on his life. He was asking him to make him pure, to make him clean. God was going to do that I love the message paraphrase of this verse it says God make a fresh start in me shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life in other words God press the reset button I couldn't do it I've messed up and I'm not pressing reset so I can try to get on my own power God I'm done with that I can't do it I am a failure but instead God, would you press the reset button on my life and I'm giving you control over my whole life and my whole being. God would bring this about. This is the new birth. But how dependent we are on the Holy Spirit to bring about repentance, to bring about this change, to say, God, I've been wrong, but you're right. Would you transform me? God, my sin is ever before you and it's before me. I've been in utter rebellion before you. I want to fully own what I've done and confess that to you and ask that you would continue to work in my life to bring about change in my direction. That's the prayer of David. That he would see his heart utterly sinful before the Lord and repent and change by the grace of God. Beloved, that should be our posture as well. David would write again later in the Psalms in Psalm 139. I believe this is the essence of what David was getting at in Psalm 51. But in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, David says this. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Beloved, God is inviting you today to do just that. He's inviting you to say, God, would you search my heart? God, would you look within me? God, would you expose those dark crevices under the bed and in the closet? I know I've made my bed. I know I look clean. I know I look like I'm good, but God, I'm not good. I'm in desperate need of your grace. God, if you did nothing, I would be condemned. But recognizing that God is merciful and kind and loving, that he sent his son to suffer in your place. And to shine the light of the gospel on that. And the good news of the gospel is that that mess is not the biggest mess that Jesus has ever seen. And that mess is not too big of a mess for God to restore you. And beloved, in this room, if you have never trusted in the bloodshed of Jesus, in his life to declare you righteous, in his death to justify you, in his burial to cover you, and in his resurrection to free you from life everlasting today. May today be the day that you trust in Jesus Christ, that you be open about your sin, that you be open and that you repent and that you trust that God can do it, that you believe in Christ and Christ alone. For salvation. But this message isn't just for new believers. And as we transition and as we turn, this altar is not just for new believers either. Because see, what we've been getting at this morning is this notion of repentance, that all of life is about repentance. We live in a day that by pointing out the sins of others, it's all too easy It's this comparative religiosity that we live in. Pointing out the sins of others, it's easy. Look how wicked all those people are. Pointing out the sins of our friends, it's difficult and often rare. It just shows that we really don't take sin too seriously in our world today. But killing our own sin, it's rarely ever considered. And I want you to know this morning that it's absolutely impossible without the good news of Jesus Christ we cannot cover and make atonement for our sin. And it reveals our need for God's grace. And so there are two people in this room. There's a lot more than two, but there are two people in this room. There are those that have never trusted in the bloodshed of Jesus for salvation. And you've tried to acknowledge your goodness, you've made your bed, but you never want God to see the dark crevices of your heart. Would you trust the Lord to know that he's seen bigger messes than you? that he's seen a bigger mess and that he can redeem it through his son and trust the Lord today for salvation. And then there are believers in Christ that for whatever reason have had this posture that they're good all of a sudden, that they don't need Jesus any longer. And you've walked maybe this year, maybe all of 2019, you never positioned yourself to consider your ways before the Lord. Maybe it's been five years. Maybe it's, maybe it's been 20 Maybe you were under this notion that you could make a decision and live your life however you wanted. But beloved, that is not biblical Christianity. And maybe for you this morning, maybe for all of us this morning, we need to take the posture of repenting and acknowledging our sin before the Lord and trusting him to continue to lead us. So what I wanna do is I wanna open this altar up. And it's always open, but so often we have this notion that it's just, those are people that are getting saved. Beloved, it's for people who need to repent. And that's every one of us. And it doesn't happen through coming here. It, doesn't, it can happen in your chair. But it's the posture of your heart that you have before the Lord. What is that posture? And I don't want us to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Instead, be soft and open to the Lord and constantly aligning our life. Where have I failed? Don't shift the blame. They're at fault. It's not me. But look inwardly and say, God, would you change me? Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. For more information about Grace Point Church, go to gracepointhenderson.com. And if you live in the Henderson, Kentucky area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1015 a.m. For all of our listeners, we invite you to leave us an honest five-star review on your podcasting viewer app. Be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast.